All right, and welcome back to the fourth part of our Why Should Be Playing Different series factions for Conquest, The Last Argument Kings from Parabellum Games. Um, on these particular episodes of the Conquest Corner that I've been putting together, we're going through each faction a more of an overview of them. We're doing a bit of related to the lore, the rules, um, a little bit of play styles, at least as I see them and highlighting some various models, and then talking about how best to kind of get into them. So for this one, so far we've went through the Old Dominion, Nords, as well as Spires, if you have interest in any of those factions or just want to see someone else's take on them, um, there is a playlist on YouTube with all of this there, so you can go back and look at any of those. But otherwise, the goal of this one is to explain to you why Madrun might be your best option. All right, so we're going to start as we normally do for these, and we're going to go through a bit of lore. Now, again, this isn't just trying to reread it all, and the goal is not to explain every little bit if you want to. They do a great job of all of this on Parabellum Games' website. There's the old companion books, which most of what you find here is in it. But they also have the living world stuff where they've been adding more and more stories related to these factions. But for this, I just want to kind of do an overview of who they are. So, for the Wadroon. The Wadroon are actually a creation of the Spires. So, they've been around for quite a while because the Spires have been around for a very, very long time. But, and this is not the only time we'll see this, that they are a creation of this outside alien um, entity, really. We saw that the Nords were more of modified from what you had. So you had humans that underwent modifications that the Spires caused. This is more pure on creation of their own thing, much like the Spires create drones and clones and all of that. They fit a little bit more of that drone idea because this is essentially outside DNA, not the exile DNA, as the clones were. But this was their attempt. So why they made them? They were trying to design them to be perfect warriors with the goal of using them to help the Spires reclaim their homeland for the ones that wanted to go from Sovereign House. And to act as enforcers for the Directorate, the ones who were going to be remaining here. Um, this doesn't quite work out the way they anticipated obviously as it turns out but that was the overall idea and for this it wasn't supposed to necessarily be you know mindless warriors or anything that mindless fighters they more were trying to almost to a certain level create a subservient civilization that they could control but would be able to do what they wanted maybe without needing pure direction at all times um, they talk in there how it was supposed to be a little bit more than mindless killing machines, maybe is a good way to put it. So, the Spires attempted to make this perfect fighting force, and it failed spectacularly time and time again. And it kept failing because they had an inability, at least for quite a while, to put into what you might call the breath of life. To actually give them the life that they wanted rather than just being a drone or something like that. And this kept failing until one time a pair of, or I should really say a set of breeding pairs survived. And not only did they survive, they then had this life that they had looked for. So they now would be studying them, looking them over, because the big thing, at least as the lore says, the Spires don't know how it happened. Essentially, they kept trying to make the Wadroon. They kept trying to make these leaders for them, these breedable pairs, and it kept failing until sometime it worked. And they go into a little bit of theories as to why it may have happened, but essentially it was suddenly a viable thing. They've created life for all intents and purposes. So what 
they use them for then at that moment? They ended up using them essentially as a throwaway. See, this particular branch of the spires had a Dwegholm problem, and the Dwegholm were there and were going to overtake their lands. In order to be able to get away, they decided to use the Wadroon to be able to get out of there. So they took these breeding pairs. Um, I'm not entirely sure if they had more of them at that point, but they at least did this with the breeding pairs. Actually, no, it makes sense they would have had more because what we're going to talk about in a moment is that most of those breeding pairs died and probably quite a few of the others. But they threw the Wadroon at them. And in this, three of those parts from those breeding pairs, war, famine, and death, were killed. But in doing so, they were able to allow conquest, who the Wadroon called the living goddess, to escape. Um, what happened from there is that this branch of the spires seemingly went away. Um, they do talk about having some refugees from that, and those refugees, at least to some extent, seemingly helping the Wadroon make their way through, whether it was because they wanted to help them or were forced to help them, could be either one. But essentially the Wadroon were able to survive. They made it out of there. Um, for them in general, so um, after that, really, what I should say is that they live in the desert, that they were trying to eke out their existence out there. And for all intents and purposes, for quite a while, they were left entirely unharassed. They were past the Old Dominion and in a spot that no one really went to. One, you'd have to go through the Old Dominion to get there, and that in itself was not necessarily a very good idea. But more so, there was nothing out there in the desert anyway. It was, in many ways, inhospitable to most life. And that is where the Wydrun, to as much of an extent you could say thrive, do. So, um, when you think of Wadrun, so the way they put these together, they're, if you're used to Warhammer or anything like that, they're essentially built like space marines. Um, their ribs are entirely fused together. They have essentially a giant chest plate. They are covered in scales and armor or those sort of things. It might not be exactly scales, but that sort of idea, essentially almost like a natural armor. They are very large. They tend to all be over seven feet tall, very large, stocky. They're orcs. For all intents and purposes, these are giant, strong orcs. So they were designed to be able to take a lot of punishment, a lot of damage. For variants, a little bit about them, they have the Warbreed. The big thing with the Warbreed is they are actually even larger than the others. But they have the problem of usually killing the mothers in birth because of just how large they are. And they tend to join the one cult of, of death, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means. They have speakers, ones who can talk to animals. Partly they have that, we'll go into this in a little bit, is because related to their ability to hear. They all have great hearing um, they all have very, you know, strong digestive systems. They can digest almost anything. They can digest things that would kill lesser creatures. But part of the reason they have that, and part of what the spires put into them, and part of the reason why they have this sort of hearing that they do, is they are voracious eaters. Like I said, one, they can eat just about anything, but two, they need to. Their body meta metabolism, my apologies, their metabolism is so high that they need a constant and large food source. Um, if you know anything about comics, you know they're essentially all standing around like the Flash almost. They need to eat a lot of food. They need to eat often. 
And I said, they're designed not only to fight, but to survive and conquer as well. This was their force that was going to take back their planet and subjugate the rest of Aya, or Aya, I should say. I always go back and forth on which one I pronounce. Um, on I'm back and forth for Aya. So you have these seven-foot-tall, very imposing orcs. Like I said, it, it, it's a very classic trope. If you follow anything related, even say Warcraft, you're looking at those sort of creatures and all with a great ability for hearing, but also a great appetite. And we'll talk about why that hearing matters so much in a moment. So let's discuss a little bit about the tribes. The tribes are one of their factions. As always, we want to talk about the three different factions that they have, the tribes being one of them. So um, remember, they're living out here in the desert. And in this, there's mainly three groups. They're all around different oases, but there's mainly, in terms of tribes, essentially three large groups. In your tribe, you're one of two things. Either you are bound, which is those who try to gather food, or you're a brave. You're a fighter or warrior type. In order to determine what you have, you have trials. So essentially, they go through whatever these trials look like probably a good bit of fighting. There might be other parts as well. I don't know if they exactly say, but you go through a set of trials. Only the absolute best get to be warriors. Everyone else, pretty much everyone else, I should say, becomes the bound. And the bound are the food gatherers. The big thing is in Wadroon society, one, they are matriarchy. So they do put um, their leader is the living goddess. Women tend to be the leaders of their groups and so on, so they do put a large focus on their females. Also, the other big thing related to this is that for them, since food is so important, since they need so much to be able to live, being a food gatherer, being you know whatever that may entail, be it farming, hunting, all of that, is not a lowly position. This is still a position of absolute pride. Because without it, their whole society falls apart. So they part a large percentage of focus on the females of the tribe, as well as on being able to actually sustain the tribe in terms of their diets. Um, from there, you have a chieftain who represents the tribe's warriors. You have the mistress who represents the bounded. You have predators who are there for the speakers. You have the eldest priest of the cult of conquest is named a Zion and represents all the cults, while the shamans represent the different elders. So pretty much they're ruled over in these little groups by a set of five. These are the groups who make decisions, although they don't have final say. That really comes down from the matriarchs. So they meet to discuss and make decisions of what they should do, but it's more of a board of directors than anything. So that's what you have when you talk about these different tribes. So this is just the, to some extent, the pure sort of makeup that they have of this group put together in any location. And these groups lead us then into the cults. So remember, you have your tribal group that you're in currently, and there is Wadroom going separate as well. They're not all sitting in these particular tribes. But then inside of those tribes, you have these various cults. So earlier when we talked about these breeding pairs, we called them war, famine, death, and we mentioned conquest. These were essentially their, their names, their avatars of what they are. And like we said, what was bred into the Wadroon was pure destructive purpose. That's what the spires made them for. 
However, those primes, war, famine, death, as well as conquest, they influence their people even after their death. So essentially, those that are towards war have predilections that war had. Those towards famine had predilection that famine had, and so on. Same thing with all the others. However, this would, in all reality, destroy the Wadroon if it was left unchecked. You know, they would tear themselves apart internally before any foe could even face them. So what they have, the living goddess. Now, I'm going to try and pronounce this. I might pronounce this wrong, but hey, that's okay. Pronunciations aren't the most important thing in the world. Um, it's Ukfanazi, I guess. U-K-U-N-F-A-Z-A-N-E. Ukfanazi. That's their living goddess. What their living goddess did, and their living goddess was conquest. She saw that the other's influences from these primes were going to destroy them. So she sought to take that and turn it and forge it in a particular way. So what she did for war, she turned them into forgers and blacksmiths. They're the only ones actually in all the Wadroon that are allowed to do the forging and blacksmithing. So she sort of focused their ambitions. For death, she took it to make them the midwives and the healers, that they were so obsessed with death that they would be trying to find ways to prevent it at all costs, to try to lengthen the time until it meets you. For famine, she found them and made them into be the travelers and explorers. Um, they overall were less affected than the others, but she essentially made it so they would be sent and always wanting to go out and travel and explore and help increase their domain. For conquest, her own people, she knew that even without check there, it would be an uncontrollable mass. And what she did is she turned them to the educators, the leaders, the learned of this group. So she took each of these cults, essentially the offspring of, that are attached to each of these primes, and was able to focus them in certain ways to be able to make a meaningful and workable society that then these tribes can have. Last group we have then, and again, these... So, unlike some of the other ones, when you think of the factions, they were almost more separate groups. Here, they're not really separate groups. It's one group of the tribe together that has various cults inside of it, and some of those in there are the speakers. Um, all Wadroon have an ability to work with animals or an affinity with animals because of their hearing. Wadroon more than, use more than just their ears to hear. It even mentions the fact that bones in their jaw help them hear and all of that. This is part of the reason they have such a high dietary need is because they're using so much energy to be able to do this. It mentions how, you know, you don't have to run messages back and forth because you're able to just with a single drum beat from a far distance away, they're able to remove all other sound and hear only that. They need this because if you have such great hearing, it would be nothing but noise otherwise. So they're able to focus it on in particular or, or particular, I should say, pieces that they want, almost like they can pick out the hurts that they want to hear. So all Wadroon can work very well with animals. Some of them can actually speak to animals, and those are the speakers. So they can actually understand animals, and animals can understand them. So they're essentially Dr. Doolittling this. Um, this was not the intention that the Spires had. It essentially mentions the fact that the Spires never give you a gift. That was never their purpose. And this is, for all intents and purposes, a gift. So it was absolutely unintentional. 
The thing is they can't talk to all animals. The animals have to be essentially smart enough to be able to talk back. At the current moment, that fits the predators. That's why this faction has a variety of dinosaurs. Um, when you think of the apex predator, so essentially Tyrannosaurus rex, the raptors, all of those, they have been breeding this into the herbivores. So through selective breeding, they've been able to get more and more of these herbivores to be able to speak to them. But even the ones that don't fully communicate with them in their, you know, in their tribes, in their oasis, in wherever they're congregating, there's animals walking freely around. They don't need to saddle them, burden them, anything like that. There's an understanding. Um, not so much a control necessarily, but a pure mutual partnership. Maybe it is a bit of a control. So that gives us these three sub-factions for the Wadroon. What we're going to go on to now then is we're going to start taking a look at the rules. Now, for these rules, we're going to talk about the army rules. Um, we have them here. So a few things that we're going to go through with this. We're going to discuss the basics of the army rules. Then we're going to get into kind of how to put some lists together. So as it says, hymns of the brave, this is the first part. When a character stand, this army destroys an enemy character stand as a result of a duel action. So if your character beats someone else's character in a duel, this regiment, this character stand is currently attached to, gains the fanatic special rule to the end of the round. We're going to see what fanatic does in a moment, but essentially you hype up your regiment because of you were able to defeat their champion in battle. The big thing with the Radun and what makes them so complicated is their war chant ability. Now, rather than just go through and read it verbatim, I'm going to explain what it does. Um, it is a little bit complicated, but luckily, and part of the complication is the original way they explained it wasn't quite so great. Their example helped make sense of it, but it, it makes more sense now. The first time reading it, though, yeah, it's not entirely clear. And I'll be honest, one of the parts I was confused about until I reread it a few times and now feel very confident with it, as well as checking the forums. So here's the thing. When you have a unit on the battlefield, when you have a regiment or a character that's already on the battlefield, so it doesn't happen until they're essentially the turn after they arrive. When they're there, when you draw their command card for that regiment or character, assuming it chants, and almost everything does, it'll tell you if it doesn't. Um, it used to be that their dinosaurs, their monsters didn't chant, now they do. And we'll talk about what that rule is in a little bit. Um, you get a chant marker related to the cult that they're part of. So when you build this army, when you build your different warbands out, your warband leader has to pick a particular cult. It might be forced on him, but you have to pick a cult. Every regiment inside of that warband must be part of that same exact cult. So if you pick, you know, one of your leaders, say you're brave, to be a, you know, for war, then every regiment in there is war. And when one of those regiments activates and they've already been on the board, or that brave activates having already been on the board, they chant a war marker. So you put a chant marker down for war. For this, um, if there's one or more chant markers, you're allowed to chant the battle cry. This is what's going to give you your special rules. For when you're allowed to do this, essentially you can do it at any point as long as you have at least one marker. Your pile of markers is never more than three. If you would get a fourth marker, you may replace one of the ones you have and put that new marker in. Um, for setting off this chant the battle cry, regiments do it, not characters. So a character may put a card down, but a character may not set it off. It's set off by the regiment. Timing-wise, it's done after their card is drawn, but before draw events. So, for what it does. Oh, the other piece is, if you have three chant markers, you must chant the battle cry. So, for what it does. 
here's how you chant the battle cry. You remove um, up to three chant markers. And again, there is, you know, so, so you're removing that way. You're taking these three chant markers. You're going to gain the tier benefit equal to the number of markers of that type that you remove. So if you want to chant war, the more war markers that you remove that you have in the stack that you pull off, the stronger war is. The other option, other than famine, death, and war, is the one that joins them all together, conquest. The way that conquest works is you have to chant different markers, at least two. So you're allowed to repeat markers, but you have to have at least two different types. Originally, I thought they all had to be different. That's not true. And I reread it and looked at rules. That was absolutely incorrect. And then you discard any chant markers that weren't used. So let's say for a moment you had two death and one famine in your pile. Your factions, your regiment, I should say, is about to chant the battle cry then. You have two war, one famine. All right. So what you could chant. You could chant war up to two markers. You have a single marker of famine. And we're going to see to get the bottom tier, you need two markers. So it wouldn't do you any good. You're allowed to chant it, but it just won't do anything. It would be clearing it out. Or you could chant then in terms of conquest. For conquest, since you have two types of markers, that will work. And you can go up to three markers of conquest. So in other words, if you only had one war and one famine, your only benefit you're going to be able to do is conquest, but you could do conquest and count it as two markers. One thing I didn't mention, and I apologize for not mentioning that till now, if a chant is conquest, so there's chanting the battle cry or chanting a card, putting a card down. When you put a card down, you're putting down war, famine, um, conquest, or death. You're putting one of those down. When you chant the battle cry, the first thing that you're going to end up doing is taking any of the cards that you have that are conquest and turning them to a different type. Conquest cards don't stay in the stack for when you do the battle cry. You can change them to anything that you want. That means it's very easy if you have a conquest marker to be able to get higher levels of other chants or to be able to get levels in conquest. So as an example, if you have one war and one conquest marker down. When you're about to chant the battle cry, you turn that conquest marker to anything you want. If you change it to war, hey, now you got two levels of war. So, hey, you can do the level tier one of war. If you want to chant conquest instead, turn that into anything but war. Turn it to death, turn it to famine. Now you have two different markers, which means you could do conquest with two markers. You never actually spend conquest markers for conquest you spend other things and when you're ready to chant the battle cry the conquest markers don't exist anymore you swap them for one of the other three hopefully that made sense i find this is something once you try it it makes a lot more sense but the big thing is it well, we'll take a look at the chart that'll help out so when you're taking a look at this a few things you should notice in this chart it talks about how many markers are required you'll notice Tier 1 requires two markers, so you have to be able to discard two markers that are the same for famine, death, or war, or two different markers for conquest. Tier 2 requires three markers, so you better have three famine, death, or war that you can drop. If you want to do conquest, you better have three markers total, and they better not all be the same. So if you have two famine, one death, two death, one war, one of each, you can do conquest with three markers.
And remember, if in your stack you would put a conquest down, then when you're ready to do this battle cry, you swap it to any of the other three that you want. To do tier three, it's three markers and you have to have the fanatic special rule. There is ways to get it. We'll talk about different ways to have that, but you have to have that. So for this, you get the level you have and everything below it. So if you had a fanatic and famine with three markers, you gain the impact hits two and the glorious charge. You also get relentless blows. You also get plus two to your charges and Zen shock. You get that in every level below it. Um, conquest is mostly about moving, evasion, and those sort of things, and extra actions. We can see war obviously um, unbreaks you, so that way you can do things like charges and those sort of things. You get extra resolve. You can have blessed and counterattack. Um, death ups your clash, fall of strikes, and untouchable and deadly blades. And we talked about what famine does. So they all benefit you. This is an army that wants to be in close combat. Everything here essentially uh, benefits mostly your close combat. Knowing conquest is the easiest one to get. And then you can always add it for your march. And it's your first march, as I say. It's plus three inches to the first march. And that activation. Um, there is some restrictions on what you're allowed to chant. If you don't have the fanatic rule, then you can chant anything. So in other words, um, when I say when I say chant, chant the battle cry, the markers you put down are determined by what your leader made you. So you're in a war band of war, you will chant war for markers. When you do the battle cry, when you set it off, you can set off anything that you got. The restriction there is if you're a fanatic, you must set off what you're a fanatic to. So let's say you had, um, could be anything. So let's say you had a unit of hunters. If you have a unit of hunters and let's say they're a part of war, cause that's what you chose. They put down their war card. Hey, there's three cards in the stack. Boom. Got to set it off. All right. So we look to set this off. They're allowed to chant for this battle cry, anything that they want. If there are two famine and one war in that stack, they could do famine if they want. Two famine, one war, they could do conquest up to tier two because they have three markers total. If they had the fanatic rule, which some units do, and we'll talk about the ones that do, essentially um, the ones that focus on each of these are fanatics, and there's other ways to be fanatic as well. They must chant that. So if you were a fanatic for war and you now have three cards, you are forced to chant war. Which, unfortunately, if you're forced to chant war and you only had one card, it doesn't do you any good. Remember, you're allowed to chant early to remove cards, but once you chant, all cards go away. You don't get to hold things over. So if you did famine with two markers and there's a war marker in there, all the markers are gone. That does mean for this faction, one very important thing for them to do is timing. You have to figure out exactly when you want things to go off. All right, so what we're going to take a look at now, then, is some of the playstyles units, and that'll help make all of this make sense as well. All right, so here we have the army builder. Remember, Parabellum Games has a great army builder. You can both just look through the options as well as actually fully put the army together. It validates it all. It's really, really good. Um, so we're going to talk about at least some of the play styles that I see. Now, there's a variety of other play styles, and you can absolutely try some other things. We have some locals who try different things, but I want to talk about what I want to highlight. Um, so when we talked about that fanatic briefly ago, if you look at the chosen, the chosen of whatever have fanatic related to that particular one. So Chosen of Death are fanatic for death, so they have to do the death ones. So um, another little thing about chanting. Now, I'm going to do a separate video 
discussing the drum beast and the tontor in more depth because someone said hey when you go over it can you please do a lot of depth for this absolutely that is my plan but i want to be able to do it in a separate video because i don't want this to take an extra 20 minutes in the middle um oh, sorry, that's the always count as inspired so when we take a look at these guys there it is i wanted to hunt through and find the rule it's bellowing roar so your monsters have bellowing roar this is true of, of pretty much all your monsters um they count as cult of conquest and they benefit from and uses the war chant army rule. It may only chant from the cult of conquest. So they chant conquest. That's what affects them. But they're actually able to use the rule. That used to be a thing they didn't necessarily always have. So for play styles. Um, I see three. Again, I usually try to go three. And one of them is pretty common for a lot of people. Sort of this, I, I thought about as fast hitters. A lot of armies, not all of them, but a lot of armies have ways to be able to move around quickly, get on the board quickly, deal damage quickly, or at least be able to reposition themselves very fast. So when I take a look at this, um, a few reasons I look at this. When we look at, say, let's just pull up two of the leaders so we can kind of discuss them. We'll pull up the chieftain and the matriarch here. Um, when you look at the sorts of things that you can buy for them, obviously, as always, it tells you the sorts of units that go with them. You see what's mainstay, what's restricted, all of that's normal. When we take a look at the masteries, if you notice, the Teachings of Conquest Level 3 Mastery, or I shouldn't really say Level 3, it's just one of the options, my apologies, it's not really Level 3. One of the options ends up giving you flank here. So there's a way to get flank. It's the Teachings, my apologies, I should have said the Teachings, not the Masteries. If we go into that... Is it related to the retinues? The teachings of conquest, which is one of your retinues. Tier 3 is flank. So you have ways to guarantee when your units show up if you want. Not for every single unit, but for a decent amount of them. At least the ones that your characters are in. So I think of fast hitters as being mobile and being predictable. If I know when you're going to show up and I give you a lot of speed or there's ways to have a lot of speed, then it'll do it. When we take a look at some of the units, things that would fit really well here would be your hunting pack. Your hunting pack are light. Um, you'll notice they have Vanguard, so they get the extra move, 8-inch move, so they can move up to 24 inches that first turn. You could make them automatically the unit that comes on. A few things. One, they're unsung, so they don't get the War Chan abilities. Irregular, so they can't be used for your reinforcement lines. But they can get up to the spot they want to, and they're really good when they hit people in flanks or rears. That's what Opportunist does for them. Um, for Swarm, they count as size 1, so that means they're very easy to hide. They are hidden fully behind just about anything, really, in the game. So I absolutely see them as something that you want to take. Um, other options in there, um, if you're related to death, so if we take a look at, let's just take a look at, say, Veterans. Um, for different things that they can do. Uh, do I want to look at veterans for this? No. Um, sorry, I think it's chosen of death. No, it's not that me. There we go. It is a banner. My apologies. Um, I'm familiar with how they work, but I don't play them. So where they hide, what's an artifact, or what's a this, or what's a that? Like the retinue, okay. You know, that's where we have the teachings and all that. So I, I get a little bit lost on some of that points. But for one of your characters... Um, one of the banners they can take has to be infantry, luckily, but it gives you impact two for that regiment. And while you're four or more, then you get glorious charge. As you show with glorious charge, um, 
its impact attacks gets plus one clash and are terrifying one. So if you take, say, a big unit of veterans or any of these other ones, you can take any of the chosen ones that you want, of course, as well. But I, I try to focus more on units that are out currently. Or actually, maybe we'll take a look at Chosen of Conquest because they're out right now. Um, for these guys, one, they already have impact two. You get plus two the impact, so they could be impact four. Per stand, you now have your terrifying. And then when they get the swing, they're five attacks each at cleave one. So they can do a lot of good. Or, like I said, you could look at it on a Braves unit or someone else that didn't have it before that you want to give this to. So you can do all those sorts of things as well. Um, for other options, uh, for this sort of, of speed, if you take a look at the Predator, so we'll pull up the Predator here. Um, we do want to talk a little bit about supremacies and things like that for later these. He has Thrill to Kill. You'll notice all friendly regiments will reroll their charge rolls in a round. So you pick a round, they get to reroll their charge rolls. Your lights get plus three to their charge distance, mediums get plus one, and heavies get an extra impact. So I can choose the turn when I really want to slam into people. And with this, you have some options of making it pretty fast. Um, Special Rule obviously has Fiend Hunter. We'll notice that he has a ranged attack. He's really good in a unit of slingers. Again, um, you have ways to get flank if you want to automatically kick this unit to come in. But we'll notice their ranges match nicely. Torrential Fire on this unit. For Torrential Fire, as it says... If you're in effective range, effective range is half range, You every two hits, you cause an extra hit. So you can get a lot more. He himself, he has armor piercing. He has deadly shot. If we pull up deadly shot, um, any when a stand with this special rule, so he has it, just him, any failed defense roll of six um, causes two wounds instead of one. So he has that deadly shot. You'll notice, like I said, with deadly shot, it's the stand. It doesn't say regiment. So... Um, for your upgrades, you could take a flint napper. When you take a flint napper, as it says, you get to reroll hit rolls of six when you perform a volley action. And enemy regiments don't get their hardened special rule. That was the whole thing that they gave Dweg. Dweg lost some of their preventative things, and they got hardened rules instead. And you prevent all of that. So now you're a lot more consistent versus some of these units that used to have these various rules. Um... You could add skirmishers, so you get more distance, and you get a free withdrawal. So you could move up, take your shots, and move away. Or you could aim, shoot, and then start moving away if you're already in a good effective range. Or you can move up to get effective and then start moving away, or just make more movement depending on which way that you want to go. You'll notice their base ability on slingers. For every two wounds caused, you take a morale test. Remember, normally in shooting, you don't take morale tests. They cause morale tests. So you get a little bit extra. And it doesn't apply to their characters. So you could do this to be able to get some shots on the people very quickly. You can have all these different ways to get either, you know, some options with Vanguard, some flank to have them come in automatically. You have some pretty fast units. You could take Raptor Riders at a move eight. Um, you'll notice they also have shooting attacks, but they're very, very quick. So you could take that. Even your Thunder Riders at six aren't too bad because now you have Heavy Cav. Heavy Cav aren't quite as fast, but let's face it, you have units coming in later. Your um, Apex Predator sitting at a 7. So in general, you have some slow units like your Braves or some of your Chosens. But you have options to get that speed. What I like in that is getting speed into the faces first. Be able to grab up some objectives or at least deny you. And then heavier hitters coming in a little bit later on. Um, other play styles. The other one obviously you could do is Jurassic Park. So 
these are, you know, orcs riding dinosaurs. They might not be painted always the same way orcs do when you think of sort of a classic orc look, but they're orcs riding dinosaurs. You now have your um, Thunder Chieftain, so he is on one of your Thunder Riders. He's on a Thunder Lizard. Um, so he's a great option, obviously, to take. Um, the one thing, notice what's nice here is his mainstay is that unit that he can go in. When you look at some things like Old Dominion, I know this happens, for the leader on a horse, the horses aren't mainstay, which is kind of a, a, a an issue when you take a look at the cataphracty. But you have the Thunder Riders. When you take a look at these guys, the big thing about them, so Chieftains give uh, Shock Assault. Shock Assault is while he's on the battlefield, all friendly regiments get the shock, and it's always considered active. When you charge, you get plus one to your clash. That's what Shock does. Um, shock is useful on your impact hits. Inspire isn't. So here's the distinction. Inspire, by rules, happens after your impact hits. Shock does not. So when you look at these guys, these Thunder Riders at Clash 3, if they made the charge with this Chieftain here, just on the battlefield, and it could be an on-foot Chieftain, but we're talking about dinosaurs, so I want to put a little bit more towards dinosaurs, that they're now actually Clash 4 for that. And then when they actually do their swings, they're now going to be 4s rerolling 6s. Remember, Inspire can't put you above a 4. It makes you reroll 6s instead. Um, they have Trample, sorry, Impact 4 for that. So they'll have four dice each hitting on fours, brutal impact. So they're at two. So they're cutting through quite a bit of the armor. If you have it, they have line breaker base. Um, as we notice, when we take a look at line breaker, they ignore shield and bastion when performing a clash or duel or when resolving impact. So essentially, if you have armor, you have very, very little armor, unstoppable, the rerolling charges, all of that. So these guys are going to do a lot of good. Six wounds at a three defense, three resolve. So rather hardy. Um, good clash numbers. No evade. That makes sense. Um, they get hit hard back by things that have brutal impacts and line breakers and all of that. Those things that hit really hard. Though these guys don't have shields, but if you have one, you tend to have a little bit of the other rule. The other thing is that now you start seeing trample. If anyone doesn't know what trample is, impact is when you charge in. Trample is when you're done. When you're done, you cause X additional hits equal to the trample. They're automatic hits. It's essentially Aura of Death at the end of your activation instead of the start of the enemy's activation. So this is really, really big. If these guys can charge in and get their attacks off and then hit someone with the trample at the end, honestly, depending on what you hit, there's not going to be a lot of things left for, for your opponent to fight back with unless they happen to have really, really good evade stats. So... That supremacy ability is good for, honestly, it's good for anything. But if you have impact, we talked previously about ways to get impact. We talked about some of these units having impact. We take a look at the Chosen of Conquest. So they're a great unit to take with the Chieftains. It doesn't necessarily fit dinosaurs, but there's some options for you as well. For dinosaurs, I think you're also obviously looking at Raptor Riders. You want fast, early units. They give you a good board presence. They can do a lot for you. Um, you're looking at a Tontor or a Drum Beast, I think. Like I said, if you're curious about a comparison of these two guys, there's going to be another short video coming out about them, a little bit more of a direct comparison, where we especially go through who takes them, what do they do, all of that. Either one is a great addition to your army. And as I'll say there, 
no matter which one you bought, if you're playing for fun, I'll let you play whichever one you want if you were playing me. I'm not going to say, oh, you bought a Tauntor, you can't run with drumbeats. Run whatever you like. Uh, I understand in, in tournaments that's different. But when you're running for fun, run whatever you feel like. But either of these guys is going to do very, very well. Notice they're both Trample 10. They're both Impact 6. They both they both have a Brutal Impact 2. So if you're running Dinosaurs, it makes sense to have these Dinosaurs here. Um, for other bits than Apex Predators, Apex Predators are still good. They are not the end-all, be-all. Um, but they're a bit cheaper. Notice the Drum Beast and the Tontor in the 300s. This guy's at 190. Um, you'll notice Deadly Blades. Um, if your opponent rolls sixes, then they take two wounds instead of one, has cleave, has impact hits. Um, the big thing, it doesn't have brutal impact. Bellowing Roar, I said that is that fact that your conquest, so hey, you get bonuses, that really helps these dinosaurs out. It's terrifying too, it doesn't care about terrifying. 11 attacks on 14 wounds, resolve of four is really strong. No evade, good defense, but you gotta work, be careful what goes into you or what you aim at. Because if they're cleaving through, 14 wounds goes down real fast if you don't really get a save for it. Um, you can obviously put characters on these. So there's the Mounted Predator. We don't have quite yet. But you can absolutely put different characters on them. So um, I said we, we talked about some of those pieces. When we take a look at the artifacts, um, Predator and Mounted Predator only, we can see. It's Bastion, all of that. Where is it? for for being able to be put on oh my apologies that's no the matriarch can go on one she goes on this one sort of the pause like i said i know they can do things i just sometimes forget where they put it it's under masteries um right yeah masteries was that where it was yes masteries so if you look in masteries under combat masteries apex rider so it's a matriarch queen or predator um, they're allowed to go on the Apex Predator. Um, Chieftains and Zions are allowed to go on Tontors. If you take a look at Apex Rider. So this is a rather long rule that works in many ways the standard way that this works. So essentially, for all intents and purposes, you work like one model. You're not allowed to leave. We don't care about, the say, the Matriarch's speed. You're on the Apex Predator. You're thinking about its speed. You count as a monster regiment and you're using that characteristic instead. Um, you need to put them on there. They no longer can do Seek New Escort. Like I said, you're not allowed to leave for any reason. Um, you no longer are allowed to have retinues, so you're not allowed to take any of your retinue options. Um, you're counted as attached to the regiment, even though you don't have a stand, so you can still be dueled, and you can still duel. Um, if you're on the Apex Predator, you get to reroll defense rolls of six, so the monster regiment, that means the monster itself, you reroll sixes, and the character stand gains the you and what army special rule. For that, you don't become broken if you decline the duel. So if you put the matriarch up there and you're not really worried so much about fighting with her, you didn't want to put a bunch of the uh, combat abilities on her or these artifacts to do that, doesn't matter. You're absolutely fine there. So for her, if you were having her lead, because obviously someone's got a lead, her big thing is that she can do two different draw events. She has her inspiring presence as well, but her draw events, she gets matriarch walks. So um, she gives someone fanatic. Fanatic lets you go to that third tier. So you can get those extra bonuses. 
So she's one big way to be able, based off her supremacy, to get Fnatic out there if you're not taking units with Fnatic. Most units don't have Fnatic. You need ways to be able to get to it. Um, she also has abilities to heal. Um, so that's one of her big things. You can actually have her healing. She can heal the dinosaurs. She heals people around her as well. That's sort of one of the things that she really does for you. At least the way that I see a lot of times people take her is sort of with a, a small healing bubble for her. For her, her healing, it was here to, to the last breath. Um, you pick a friendly version with eight inches, heals four wounds. Um, and it may only happen once per round in case you had two of these or, or another world that has it. So for them then, if you're looking at dinosaurs, she's a great option to be able to get a little bit of healing on some of these dinosaurs. You could absolutely take, say, the Chieftain or Predator, someone who can hop on one of these other ones. Like I said, you can put them as well if you wanted. We'd tentatively be looking at him for it, but that doesn't matter so much. When we look at being a Tontor Rider, if you're on a Tontor, they said they give the Tontor Rider special rule. Um, a Chieftain must choose Tontor Rider in the Warband, whereas Zion of Conquest chooses a Drum Beast. They're both called Tontor Rider because that's what the animal is called. But your Zion of Conquest takes Drum Beast, so that's what he can go on. Your Champion takes, or sorry, Chieftain takes Tontors, so that's what they go on. The beginning part is the identical sort of idea that we just talked about. That's what it means to be on something. Your Monster Regiment, of course, rerolls the sixes. You get the You and What Army special rule, which we just talked about. In addition, a Zion of Conquest um, attached to a Drum Beast Regiment gains the Drum Beat Draw event. For a drum beat draw event, they have it right here. Add one chant marker that matches the cold of any chant marker already in the sequence. The drum beast is out there beating these drums, so you get more markers. For your other option, then, if instead you have the chieftain on a tontor, it has its way of war ability is no longer affected affect the regiment the character stands attached to. Rather, the chieftain may select a friendly regiment within eight inches to get it. So for that when we take a look at this Tontor. For the rule that it was referencing, for that way of war, we have it here. It's abilities on the Chieftain. The Chieftain has to select one of these ways of war. You can get Rapid Displacement, which means you get double time, or Violence of Actions, Flurry. What that rule means is if you're riding a Tontor, he no longer gets it. You don't give the Tontor Flurry, thankfully. But you're then able to hand it out to a different unit in eight inches. So that's what you get then instead. So if you're looking to run dinosaurs, you're probably going to want to take one of these big boys. You're absolutely going to want to take um, Thunderers. And like I said, you have Apex Predators, which have been out for a while. You obviously could take your hunting packs as well. You, you, know, um, you have these sort of things, Raptors. So those are some of the options. If you want to do pure dinosaurs, you can pretty much do pure dinosaurs. Probably not 100% or but very, very close. And honestly, I'm not sure pure dinosaurs would necessarily be the right way to go anyway. Um, other option I kind of see is Hammer and Anvil. The big thing with these guys is they tend to have five wounds or more. They tend to have very good resolve, reasonable defense. Not everything has good defense, but they tend to have those numbers in pretty decent amounts. If we take a look at, say, the Chosen of Conquest, there's seven wounds each with a four resolve. If you have, you know, enough stands, you're on five resolve. You know, defense three, they actually do have a bit of an evade. So you have some units that are very high in terms of wounds or just in average. You're not seeing those little four wound things um, unless you're looking at things like hunting packs, which are at three, but a lot of the other stuff you're looking at, Raptor Riders, five, Slingers, five, 
your veterans, six. Your warbred, five. Your standard amount of wounds here is five. You know, you're pretty much five with the exception of, you know, one little piddly thing being less and everyone else potentially even being more. When we take a look at the other two chosen, notice death, famine, war. War is six wounds. The other ones are all five, but famine is eight attacks. They're all fanatics. You know, they have extra bits. We talked about how your um, matriarchs can heal. So you have a little bit of healing for this. So you're able to take a punch because you tend to have more wounds. You have some ways to heal as well. And you have very good resolve numbers. You have these hammers because you have some units that can really hit hard. If you have someone, say, slam into, let's just say your unit of Braves for a moment. All right. Um, maybe not Braves because they have really bad resolve. Let's take a look at, say, Veterans. Let's just say you go into a unit of Veterans. There's six wounds each, three resolve, probably four based on your size. They're pretty good at sticking around. Um, like I said, they, they remember, you do have some other good bonuses. You do have your chance and all that are going off for you as well. You have, you know, your chieftain, you can give yourself flurry so you can get some damage into them. You have shields, so you're really defense three. You're going to stick around. And then you could have that be a spot where then the Thunder Virus can come into the side. So I've received the charge, stuck, and now it lets my other units come in. You can kind of either bait enemies in or at least position yourself in such a way that, you know, you could go for the 12 charge there or this one here. But going for this charge here, I have you oddly angled. That's going to give me side charges, flank charges, all of that. I'm going to be able to take a hunting pack and run them around the back of you. So I see this being an army that you can essentially let them crash upon the waves and then hit them back. Unlike some of these other armies, like when we talked about Nords, Nords don't take the punch very well. Yes, they have units that can, but in general, their army wants to be the one punching, not getting punched. These guys are ones who can absolutely just take the punch. Um... They are just as effective in many, many ways when that happens. So that's a little bit about um, their play styles. Let's talk about good ways to start this army. So, um, as always, where is it? There we go. New is here somewhere. For starting this army, if we take a look at just the Wadroon right here. Wait for it to load on up. Um... Obviously, currently, as we are approaching this Christmas season, one of your best ways is to grab up some of the large boxes that they have. When you take a look at the large boxes, they obviously, if you want to go all in on the army to start with, you can just go all in. You can get a whole army. Your other options is they have different holiday deals. For the base price of the starter set, you can get a starter set with, waiting for it to load here, you can get the starter set with an, a hunting pack. So you can get, essentially, a free box of them. They show you here, that's an extra $50 value. You can, like I said, get the all-at-once army. They're currently doing some specials if you want a, both a Tontor and a Drum Beast, if you want to live that crazy life. If you have a friend that's getting into the game as well, there is a two-player starter set with this and the Old Dominion. If you pick it up, you get the, for the cost of the starter set, you get a box of Carotids for the Old Dominion, and you get a box of Warbread for the Wadroon. So if you wanted, even if you were, say, doing such a thing of wanting both armies, this is a great way to get into all that. So you can really do a lot of good with all of this. Um, so let's say you go with one of these starter boxes. Actually, let's go with let's go with the base one player starter. Because if you don't have someone else you're starting out with, I think that's what you would probably be doing is this one player starter. So for the one player starter, if we take a look at what's actually in this one player starter, 
Um, they put it here. You get slingers or hunters. You get blooded or braves. 12 of each, so essentially three stands of each. And you get three raptor riders. And then you have a predator who the predator can take all of this. For where I would expand from there. And for the expansion, let's take a look here at the predator, what the predator takes. You'll notice things that you could do. Um, you have your one Tontor. You could obviously take a big boy if you want. Sorry, that's not quite being shown on the screen. There we go. Um, you could take a Tontor. You could take an Apex Predator. So if you want to buy up one of the larger dinosaurs, you can do that. Um, otherwise, you have Raptor Riders. You could always supplement more Raptor Riders. You could grab some Slingers or more Slingers if you want to turn them into the other option. What I would say from here, if you're building up the Force, you could absolutely go that way. If you want to expand, expand from there, give yourself some new options. And new options along with that. You could obviously go Thunder Chieftain with some Thunderers. So if you want to lean a little bit more into the dinosaur element, that now you can take that with just the Thunder Riders, and that's a full legal bit. You wouldn't have to be one of those cases where you have to take even more units to fill that out. So that's not a bad way to do it. Um, Chieftains give you, like I said, gives you Shock Assault, which is really good. If you wanted not to have to worry about the Thunder Riders, you could always take the one on foot. That lets you then pick up, say, a box of Braves. You now have this Chieftain. If you want to lean into your, say, Chosen, you have your Assign a Conquest. That lets you take Chosen a Conquest. It lets you take the other Chosens as well as Restricted. So if you want to lean into those, that's a good option there. Um, part of it depends on exactly what you want to do. Me, personally, I love dinosaurs, so I would be picking up one of these types of dinosaurs. It kind of depends on exactly what you want. If you don't want to have to expand into one of the bigger ones, you could just go Apex Predator. You could then run that fully. You have a fully legal army. If you want to start varying it out, then you're looking at picking up one of the other leaders, either say the Thunder Chieftain, so you can get some Thunder Riders with him. Or like I said, you could be looking at, you were even say Matriarch Queen, if you want to lean into that sort of healing element. Um, they do give you some other bits. I would say, if you don't want to just take, say, an Apex Predator, I would look at, you know, Thunder Rider, that sort of angle, or I'd look at Matriarch if you're wanting to go more into at least having a little bit of healing ability using her her parts, or Sion of Conquest if you want those Fanatic units. Because you could absolutely, in the future, play an army that has a lot of Fanatic. So that's sort of where I would expand... Um, for these guys, I think it really depends on exactly which way you want to go. I think, you know, the Jurassic Park versus the other ones are very, very different. If you don't care about dinosaurs, one, why are you playing the faction? But if you don't care about dinosaurs, you could absolutely steer away from it. But if you want, I think you should start turning towards that pretty well, pretty quick. Um, remember, if you're looking for any of these sorts of things, we actually do have a um, code. It is down in the show notes. You click on the link, you use the codes that are there, and you'll save yourself 10%. And also... And least importantly to us, one, you get to save money, but also helps us out as well. Um, just make sure, though, you click on that code, you sorry, click on the link, and then use the code. The code, I'm pretty sure, is just Terrain Kickers. Um, it's put down below, so you can see all that. So use all that. You'll get 10% off. You'll get some savings from all this. But you'll also be helping us out, which is greatly appreciated for anyone who does. So last little bit here we want to talk about, then, is the why play these guys. One, they're orcs riding dinosaurs. Um if you like that idea, if you like dinosaurs, if you like that sort of bit, this is absolutely a great faction for you. Um, we're going to get into it in a moment. I'm not a huge fan of the look of the non-dinosaurs, 
But if I didn't have to have bought a new car, I absolutely would have thought about that giant box which puts, you know, I forget if it's the Tontor or the Drum Beast, whichever one they put in there, and Thunder Riders, and all this, just all these sort of dinosaurs. I absolutely love that. Um, so that's one reason. They are, they have very strong monsters, and they have quite a few. You have, you know, all these various dinosaurs that are all very, very good. This doesn't fit that spire problem where, like, oh, the one's not so great. Or, you know, you can kind of take them a little easier when you take a look at the different Jotnars. The Jotnars are a little bit tougher to take. You usually can't take tons and tons of them. You can take quite a few, but they're a little bit harder to get through, I think at least. But they have really strong monsters. This is also an army with good shooting. We took a look at those slingers, all of that. You can get some good shooting. They're not the best shooters, but you can absolutely have some units that are very scary to have to shoot into, and then you have these big heavy units rushing in to be able to hit opponents as well. So this is an army that plays from strength. They're big, burly, hard to move in most cases. So if you like that sort of aspect, if you like the idea of being able to be punched in the face and then punch back, I think this is a great army for you. Reasons why not. Um, some of these might be a little nitpicky, but it matters to me. Um, they, to say they fit on their bases is almost laughable. They barely fit on the bases you must magnetize these guys or just glue them into their bases. And even then, you have to glue them in very particular angles to fit them. These models, because of just how big and burly they made them, they overhang hugely. It is tough to actually rank these guys up and make them fit. I've watched many a player who didn't have it all fully magnetized, or even did, just watch them position their models, and they're having a hard time putting them together, or the models are still falling out, even unless they have really heavy magnets and all. So that's one of the things. Um, they're an elite army with very expensive models. If you want to lean into these dinosaurs and things like that, which to me, you're playing these guys because that's something you want to do. They are elite. You're not going to have a very big force because these things tend to be very expensive. And just monetarily, they are. You'll notice when you look at that one-click bundle, they're the most expensive. So to kind of get some of the newer stuff, you are spending quite a bit. So if money is a thought, there is some factions where you can kind of get off the ground running for a bit less. The other big thing to keep in mind is this is a very complicated faction. Overall, it's probably the most complicated. And the reason it's the most complicated is because of that chanting. So when you are making your stack of cards for your round, trying to figure out who's going to go when, normally, if you're playing just about any other army, the only part you really have to consider is, when do I want this unit to go? Oh, well, mm, I want to be able to get this unit to go in first because they're going to rush in and they're going to stop that other unit that was going to charge my shooting unit, whatever they are, and then my shooting unit, now I can reposition and fire. Like, you have those sort of thoughts. Oh, I'm putting my characters early so I can delay tactics because I won't need the characters later. Those are the sorts of normal thoughts you have when you put your stack together. For these guys, you have an extra thought. You also have to think about what are they chanting and who's going to get the chant to go off. Remember, pretty much everything other than your raptor riders chants. Your characters chant as well. They don't do the battle cry, but they do put chant markers down. So that delay tactic of, oh, you know what? My, you know, my predator and my matriarch aren't going to do anything this round because of my positioning. So I'm going to put them first just to get them out of the way to delay and make the opponent do something. That's great. But if they're on the board and they both chanted, the first regiment that goes sets the chant off. So they do the battle cry. And maybe that's not the unit you wanted it. You want it on someone else. So you not only have to think of your stack in terms of when you want them to go, you have to think about when do you want them to go with the potential of these chants going off. I've seen many starting Wadroon players 
have issues with where they put something and saying, oh, I wanted the next unit to have this chant. Well, the problem is you, you couldn't avoid that. There is some ways you can mitigate it. Some of that, remember, if you have at least a card, you can set the chant off. So you might have to be setting them off early for no benefit to guarantee the unit you want to have the benefit does. But these are all thoughts that you have to have. So in my mind, this is one of the most complicated factions as a starting player because there's extra things that you have to keep in mind. It's not a flat, you get this army rule. The other complication is, oh, I set the chant off on this regimen. Some of those bonuses, now I have to keep in mind what the bonuses I have now are, and those bonuses won't be there later. Maybe someone else gets a bonus. There's a lot more little nuance to it. What I would suggest, especially if you're starting off, index cards, something like that, with what these different levels are on each, and pop that next to the unit when you use it. That way you know, oh, this is what that unit has. Here's the bonuses they're getting, because you are going to get lost. I guarantee it. Um, I do think that makes them exceedingly interesting. But that does add the complication. If you're someone who could get frustrated um, by making bad choices, and when you start a game, you're going to make bad choices. Who cares? But if you're going to be frustrated with bad choices, you're going to make some bad choices with these guys in the beginning. All right. Um, hopefully, that gave people an impression for the Wadroon. Hopefully, going through the chant part made sense. The big thing, just to summarize it again really quickly, when your unit goes... Then they activate, you put down a marker. When you got three markers, you're going to set off your battle cry. Your battle cry, if you have a conquest marker on that, on there, turn it to one of the other three. And then you count up the number of markers you have of a type. That's how much of that type you can do. You need at least two markers to have anything go. The big thing with the chant of conquest for that battle cry you're looking for different types of markers. As long as you got more than one type of marker, you're intermixing them, you can then tally them all together. So conquest is always the easiest to get. My suggestion, when you're just starting out, I would probably have one type and then maybe a unit or two that relate to conquest. Your beasts would automatically because that way you're going to learn a little of what they do and you have some option. When you practice a little bit, I would have at least two types. I don't know if I would go all three. That might get a little rough. But I have two types. Say War and Death. Because now I could do War Death and always have Conquest as the backup. Pick the one that you don't care as much about and neglect it for a little while until you get comfortable. And then you may find that you want to vary out more. Looking at players, I see some players on the forums, or sorry, on um, the Discord that say they only ever do one type. Um, and then the beasts give them Conquest if they want. And then they could swap into other types. Or they run two. Some people probably run three, but you're going to have to experiment a little bit. But, so, that gives us these guys. For where we're going from here, probably the next one I'm going to do, I'm thinking is 100 Kingdoms. My hope is to get that out to you guys next week. You're also going to see a video related to, at least for Tantor and Drumbeast, to talk about them in more detail, because this video is already about an hour pre-editing, let alone a 20-minute discussion on those two. So you'll see a separate video about that. In the future, we're going to go back and talk about individual units and things like that. If there's anything particular related to Conquest that you would like to see, post it down below. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're not, if you're listening to the podcatcher, go on YouTube, post it down below. Likes, comments, subscribes, all those sorts of things really help us out. We're currently sitting about 30% of the people who listen to us actually subscribe. If we even got to 50%, we would be much higher in terms of our numbers, which helps us get noticed. And let's face it, that, that helps also make content because we're seeing more people and I can judge what people like and, and all of that. Um, remember, if you do have any Conquest stuff you want to buy, we do have a code below that you can save 10% on your purchases. Um, like I said, all of that's there for you guys to be able to use. If you are liking our content in general, we also have a Patreon. We post that. But obviously, in your holiday season, 
hey, you know, you got, you know, family, friends, and things like that to take care of. So absolutely look to that first, then maybe next time. Um, for where we're going from here, we have that. There's other conquest stuff we want to do. I want to start getting back to doing some battle reports. It's just been, it's been a crazy last while for us, but we are starting to do that. For other types of games, we are going to be covering some, era, I'm sorry, um, uh, Imperialis, uh, Legions Imperialis, couldn't think of the first word. Legions Imperialis very soon. We're hopefully going to get that in our hands pretty soon. And then we're going to record some battle reports, other stuff related to that. If there's anything else, other games, other things that you want to know, let us know. We'd love to be able to cover it. We want to also be able to start doing some painting streams just because um, you can't see it now, but I'm surrounded by models to paint. But um, I think that belabors all the points long enough. As always, um, you know, thanking everyone who does watch, has some good hobbying, and some great gaming.